So the Buddha talked about 10 worlds or 10 conditions that we can choose to live in at any given moment. And he outlined uh, 31 planes of conditioned existence within samsara. And samsara is the rounds of, of rebirth linking consciousness. And, and as real destinations uh, for there to be uh, a living appearance. Uh, but he also... Uh, and, and we know that he was speaking of literal realms, literal worlds, uh, locus, because he spoke of, uh, where he was before he made an appearance in, uh, in this world. And, um, uh, he was in Tashida heaven. And, and he went and after his mother passed for three months, he ministered to her. So there are different worlds according to the ripening of karma, uh, so that there is an appearance in, in those worlds. And the reason why this is important is because there is, uh, a, a, a truth runs on, on a scale. So there's a relative truth. There's an immediate, uh, truth that, that can be immediately apprehended and useful in the present moment. There's an ultimate truth. And so you have to know what kind of truth is being spoken of. And in these ways, he was talking about literal realms, but also what precedes the, the literal realm are our mental realms because mind is chief. Mind made are we. He said whatever we think and ponder on, that becomes the inclination of our mind. So if the mind is constantly leaning in a certain direction with certain thoughts, those thoughts will continue to proliferate and always come up for you. Then when you decide, well, I don't want to think like that, too, too late, you know, uh, the mind automatically leans in that direction and those thoughts come up. Now the thoughts are bothering you. You know, because you don't want to have them anymore. But it's because of the habitual tendency of leaning the mind in that way, of entertaining those thoughts. And so, uh, it's just like the sympathetic nervous system, uh, steps in to, uh, uh, program things for us. That's why we don't have to learn how to redrive every time we get in the car. You know, so there's this programming that goes on. We're marvelously made. You know, honestly, this, this, this body mechanism, it is truly marvelous. Uh, and so it remembers, you know, this is not just stored in the brain, but it's stored in every cell of the, of the body. And so when we get there, you know, we, we can automatically drop without even thinking about it. And so, so he was pointing us to the, um, uh, importance then of training the mind so that the mind will incline in the direction that you want it to go. So at that time that you're wanting to like, uh, overlook someone's fault, you know, like you really want to, but you just can't. You just can't do it. You know, uh, that self rises up in a certain way. Uh, and so, so we acknowledge, we, first of all, we're not frustrated with ourselves because we understand how this thing works. Um, second, we are, um, are, um, uh, committed or, or dedicated to making progress so we look at it and we own it, you know. And then the third thing is that we try again. And we just keep going again and again. And then one day, you know, it really happens, you know, and it can, and, and sometimes we don't, it's so subtle that we don't even notice it because we're like gradually changing and we don't even recognize the change. Other people see it. We don't see it because we know how we have been. We know how we have thought, you know, but somebody come along and they say, you're so different. You say, I am. And say, yeah, you know, or you get with somebody that you would just like, cause you know, birds of a feather. So, you know, and then you look at their behavior and it's like, it's, it's grating to you. It's like, oh, why they so mean? You know, why, why, you know, why do they always think the worst? Or why, you know, and then, then you realize, I, I used to be just like that. I have, I have changed. And so he says we should recall not only what we need to work on, but we should recall and, and uh, continually recollect the progress that we're, that we're making. This is what encourages us on the path. And so, you know, sometimes this sounds like just 
pragmatic, practical talk. Sometimes it sounds like, you know, just sort of like psychological talk. Sometimes it sounds like spiritual talk. And it's all of those things and none of those things. You know, it's just how we choose to talk about it at any given, at any given time or how we choose to relate to it at any given time and relating to it uh, in the way that has the most meaning and the most impact for you. And so for one person, that could be from a purely psychological perspective. For another person, that can be from a purely spiritual perspective. From another person, it, it could be like totally in the realm of, of devotion. For another person who thinks devotion is stupid, it could be, you know. So what I'm saying is nobody should begrudge anybody in how they make their progress. A key thing is making the progress. Uh, one time they came and they, the news people showed up at our door and they wanted to, and they wanted us to comment on the fact that uh there was a motion um up before the city council to uh make them stop having prayer at uh you know at the beginning of the of the meeting and so some of the Jewish people were upset because they were making a prayer and they were ending it in Jesus name and so they wanted to know what we had what we you know wanted us to wait like what do we have to do with that you know you haven't come and asked me anything about Buddhism I mean like you know why do you want me to come get in the the Christian and the Jewish like no so we just said we think it's a good idea matter of fact they should pray more if it's helping them you know and so uh, and uh, I mean I don't think they even add that because that wasn't what they were after it wasn't what they were we're looking for, you see. But, you know, not begrudging anybody using any method that is useful and beneficial for them achieving their goals. So these 31 planes of existence and, and other sages have broken it down in a different way. So some might call it five stages and some call it three and some call it 45 and the Buddha just happened to break it down into 35. But they are what they are. And, and they are real destinations. And then he spoke of where he was uh, before he made an appearance into this world and where his mother went and and that he went and he ministered to her there for three for three months. But there is a important aspect that he ultimately gets to and that is that the world of the Buddhas or Buddha land or you know Buddhahood or enlightenment is found within the reality of our own lives, you know. That means in the other nine worlds, not somewhere separate. And that's the important thing because if it was somewhere separate, how could we possibly get there? So he says, it is right here, but it's obscured. We're not able to see it. So, so we're not trying to get anything. We're not trying to get anywhere. We're just unpacking the obscurations. We're just peeling back the layers to see that we are already enlightened, to see that there really is nowhere to go. I won't say there's nothing to do, but I will say, really, truly, there is nowhere to go. Buddha land is right within these other nine worlds for the one who has eyes to see. So I want to give a brief explanation of the ten worlds in the sense not of physical destinations today, which is rare for me, but in the sense of conditions, uh, mental conditions, states that we are in. And he says that we can choose any one of these ten at any time. And the first is the hell realm, the world of hell. And it indicates a condition uh, where there is constant misery and suffering, devoid of all freedom, you know, where anger and rage become a source of constant self-destruction. So sometimes we choose to respond in a certain way that drops us right into the hell realm. 
And I don't care what anybody says to try to make you feel better about the situation. This is your story. You know, I'm sticking to it. And and you don't even know how to reason with someone. They, like, see it so different than what it is. You just have to leave them with that. And when a person starts to recognize that I am creating hell at this moment, for myself, because the one who is wise won't stay there with you. They'll just leave you with that if you want to be there. And when you decide that you don't, then you put forth the effort. If it's no more than to just go and sit down somewhere instead of pacing back and forth like a cage lion, ready to pounce, yelling up and down the courtyard, stuff like that. So we choose whether we'll be in a hell realm or not. The second is the world of hunger. And it's a condition governed by endless desire for things, for food, for profit, for pleasure, for power, for recognition, for fame. You know, it's a... Having something and always craving something else, wanting something else, needing something else. And if we, if I had to choose a a, a condition for at, for at least the United States, I won't say the world because it's not, but for the United States, you know, this is a country full of hungry ghosts. Just this constant hunger and need for something. Then there's the world of uh, animality, if that's a word. Uh, animal, animal realm. It's a condition driven by instinct. You know, and instinct um, and intuition are two different things. Because instinct is based on survival. Survival, survival of the of the fittest, feeling like um, you have to always be watching, and it is characterized by um, uh, a uh, a lack of uh, integrity, inner integrity, you know, uh, inability to control oneself. In this uh, condition, it's like like the law of the jungle. It's something, it's something like that. Uh, so it causes us to quiver in the face of the, of who we consider strong. And we have to come up with ways to, uh, to thwart or to overcome or to circumvent. Um, it's, um, appearing to be, um, in agreement with, but, quietly or secretly despising them. Uh, and it causes one to prey then upon those who are weaker than them. Um, the same way that they feel um, put upon by those that they perceive as stronger than them. And this is this animal world and the law of the jungle. Then he said there's a state or a condition that is the world of animosity, and it's characterized by um, um, aggressiveness, persistent, though not, it's not necessarily an overt aggressiveness. It's a, like passive-aggressive, you know. So you can see a person who appears to not be leaning in to you at all, but you can feel the press. You know that there's this uh, kind of... Uh, uh, Subtle aggressiveness, and that condition actually is dominated by by ego. You know, um, uh, oh, I'm so sorry. It's outside. That's okay then. Uh, it's uh, it's driven by a need to be uh, superior to others or to surpass them. You know, at any cost. Uh, and so one in this condition may feign, you know, politeness uh, and even flatter others, but secretly despising and feeling like whatever they do, I 
to do better and seeking to do that one-upmanship. Now, the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm laying all of these out is because the one who is wise knows the ten conditions. And so it's going to be very difficult to fool people when you come into a place and, um, and they're practiced and they're developed and they're, uh, watchful over their own, uh, emotional states and mental states. Uh, and when they know their mental states, because, you know, everybody's been in all of these. You know, I've been in the hell realm, might be there tomorrow for a minute. I've been in, you know, the animal realm, been in the, the realm of the hungry ghost. So it's by knowing it, by recognizing it in yourself, you can recognize it. If you have poop on a stick, you can recognize it. Whether it's your stick, somebody else's stick, poop is poop. You know, and so it gets like that. And so you can recognize it. It's not to say, aha, so I know something, but it's like you just know, you know, and you know by direct experience because you know yourself when you touch these states. So this is not an indictment against others. You understand what I mean? This this is really uh, awareness so that one can can reflect and come to know, I mean, we do some of these things when we're sitting. You know, in meditation, uh, I mean, there's many, many, many different types of meditation. And some is just reflecting to know one's own states. Or when they have heard about something like, I didn't even realize that was me, but you know, I, I do that. And so it's in these ways that we get to know ourselves. And to know ourselves is to know others. And so um, there's the world that, that we call like the, the, uh, the human state, where one tries to control one's desires and impulses with reason, or like this reasoning kind of state. This is what separates us from the animals because we reason and they work by instinct. But you observe animals for a while, and I, I, and I would swear they have a reasoning capability, you know, Animals can be smart from ants on. I don't think that's just instinct. Um, but, but we really do pride ourselves, you know, on our intellectual, intellectualism because we haven't realized that the, the sense gates can give us faulty information because of perceptions that we have that color what we see or that color what we hear or that color how we think about a thing. So we take this this kind of of intellect as, you know, as being uh, a king. And so we try to uh, control our desires and our impulses with reasoning. And we try to act in harmony with our surroundings and we aspire for even a higher state of life than this. Then he describes the world of of rapture or the world, and it's sometimes called uh, the world of heaven when he talks about us abiding in the uh, heavenly realms and the Brahma Viharas uh, imbued with metta or loving kindness, uh, being imbued with compassion or uh, sympathetic joy, altruistic joy, you know, joy in the successes of others. or in uh, just uh, equanimity, uh, a place of of peacefulness when others are losing their heads all around you, you know. Can you just keep your own head? And uh, and so this is a joy that one feels when we are released from suffering, or uh, or released from, or we have some satisfaction. Um, of some desire, if it's a, just a, a desire to dwell peacefully, you know, with others, or it's a desire to accomplish something that will help others, or even to accomplish something that will help oneself, because there's nothing wrong with that. And so these six worlds that I've just talked about, which would be like the hell realm, the hungry ghost realm, animal realm, the world of animosity, and the world of reason, 
and the sixth being the world of rapture. Um, these are called the six paths. And being in these six paths, you know, uh, we are largely controlled by, you know, um, the restrictions of our surroundings. And therefore, we're extremely vulnerable to changing conditions. Now, the remaining four states, um, these transcend these, uh, the uncertainty, I'll say, of six months. So let's say you can go to a place and you plan for there to be harmony and and, and there's bickering and so forth. Then, you know, it just affected it just affected, impacted your mental state. And so uh, you can be changed or you get thrown off, you know, thrown off course or, you know, you, know, you got off of your good intention, but the good intention was there. But because of the external changing condition, you couldn't always hold it and stay on and stay on your mark. You know, and so when we understand that, then we're not so harsh with ourselves and we're not so intolerant of others. We're like, hey, this is the way of, of, of the world. But then he starts to talk about uh, the seventh world, and that is the, the world of learning. And in this state, one dedicates oneself to creating a better life through both self our reformation um, and and self development. So we're trying to reform ourselves, constantly giving ourselves over to learning, constantly wanting to uh, to know how to improve, constantly interested in hearing something that we could use to uh, to improve, to to do better to find a way of escape for uh, our habitual our habitual tendencies, our habitual ways of looking at things, our habitual ways of responding, our habitual ways of, of acting. And so um, we go through this, this period of like having a voracious appetite to hear something that we can that we can uh, chew on, that we can assess, that we can learn from that that we can uh, Increase our own self-development. And this, in this uh, condition, we're not so interested in others. Like what they do, they do. You know, but we're really, really interested in how can I use this to perfect myself. And this is the beginning of a turning. Because all up until this point, our focus is outward and how you impact me. How how you make me feel, what you did to me, what you said that bothered me, what you know. But now it's starting to turn, and there is an inward focus when we are entering this realm of 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 learning, uh, of of how can I use this moment to uh, to learn something, to recognize something, so that in the future I won't respond the way I have in the past. Sometimes somebody will say uh, about another person, that's, uh, you know, that's my uh, learning tool right there. That's who I'm going to learn for. That is that space that we're now deciding we're not going to use, you know, we're, we're going to use this uncomfortable circumstance for our growth, for our development. So we have to know that we're shifting you know, we're shifting a, a lineage, so to speak, when that kind of thought is what comes up. Instead of look at what they did or what they said, ah, oh, that's going to be the point of my practice right there. Like, I'm ready for this, you know. I'm allowing it. I'm allowing it to be. And that's the kind of mind that starts to arise. And, and then when we see something continually, we're, we're looking at it from the vantage point of what, what can I get out of this? You know, how, uh, learning that I can hold my peace or, or learning that I can, uh, forgive, uh, what was said yesterday because that, you know, even if in the beginning you say, because that just didn't even come out of a, of a, 
And it didn't even make sense. It didn't even come out of a sane mind. You know, you might be there with you start with it, but after all, you just stay there and you get to the place that that you go so far that you say, uh, what could I have done that wouldn't make that person feel that they're being challenged in that way? You know, how could I change the way I, I speak? Or how could I change, you know, something that I'm doing that uh, that I don't give the impression maybe that I'm coming at them in in a way that was not my is not my intention. And so we sort of like roll, that's that space of rolling all blames into one. You see, we're not taking the blame for anything, but we're learning how to like not ascribe blame to anyone else. We just look at this and say, how could I do things uh, better? That, you know, and it's a whole different experience. It's a whole men- different mental state. Now I'm not even r- reasoning. I'm not reasoning like, why did this happen? How did it happen? That's done with. It doesn't matter why or how. It's a, how can I, going forward, what can I say? What can I do? Forgetting about what's past. No. But going forward, how can I check my approach, you know, so that I come across as being, you know, open, if I really am open <laughs> you know i'm not i'm not talking about faking it till you make it i mean you know but if i really am I really have that desire was really trying to be open but was unskillful in it how can i get better at it you see and so this is the world of learning and from the world of learning we access the world of realization now the world of realization requires a couple of things and one is that we uh, actually can perceive the the uh, impermanence of everything. So if we really could perceive the impermanence of everything, things would not keep coming back up for us again, you know, again and again. Just keep coming back up. You thought you dealt with it. Coming back up. Coming back up. But when we really start to, to grasp the nature of all phenomena as empty and as... Uh, um, impermanent, then we know that the only way it's coming back up is that we are by uh, choice, even when we don't recognize it because it's not like overt decision, but by habitual tendency. Uh, it is a choice that we keep uh, holding what dredges up. You know, so when the thought comes up and you say, like, I don't want to think that way anymore. I don't want to, you know, um, uh, that that's done with, you know. The only way then it can remain is if you keep looking at it. So we have to learn how to uh, add, um, how to apply, like, the antidote, how, how to move the mind to something else. You can't, like, just stay with it and say, I don't want to think about it. You can't, like, just stay with it, you know. You have to move the mind to something else. So that takes, a, that takes will. I'm willing a lot of times we say we don't want to feel that way, but we're not willing to think anything else. No. Um, and so, the, so I have to ask myself, am I really ready to put this down? Am I willing that when this comes up, this, this judgment or this, this view, am I willing to place my mind somewhere else? Or do I just stay there with it? Saying, oh, hold me back, hold me back. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to think about it. But yet, still thinking about it. And so this is where our training comes in. So the, the Buddha talks about meditation and he talks about effacement. And we think that so much is going to be accomplished, you know, through meditation. But meditation goes in direct tandem with effacement. You know, effacement, the rubbing out of self. That's what effacement is, the rubbing out of self. And the self that we know is our habitual self. That's the self that we know. Actually, it's just this, this collection of tendencies is ourself. We could be new every moment. If we weren't holding on to that's just who I am, that's the way I am, that's how I roll. No, if we could abandon that notion and not define ourselves in any way, 
bad or good. The one who who considers themselves pious becomes sanctimonious and you know, uh, and totally egotistical, and they think like I'm like not at all, but absolutely are because they have embraced themselves and with this sense of being so pious or so holy or so perfect or so right or so smart or so you know whatever name you want to drop in there for yourself. Uh, but if we could abandon being any way, you know, characterizing ourselves in any way, you know, latching on to it and then feeling that like we have to live up to it. You know, like um, my master used to say to me all the time, she said, just be ordinary. You know, every time I'm talking, I got a, a, as much of the ordinary stuff as, you know, common stuff as I want. I'm trying to get something that's uncommon. Something's not, and she would constantly say, just be ordinary. She did so much that she had, she had, uh, I guess she had about 500 nuns and she disrobed all of them and said, just be ordinary. She said, a monk is one inwardly. You don't have to have a certain robe. Now, when she was my teacher, at that time, I was trying to be a nun. And so I left her because what she was, while she was disrobing, I wanted to suit up. I mean, I wanted to make that, you know, I wanted to descend into that cloistered world, you know, because I was suffering and I wanted to, and I thought that would be my only path out of suffering. And she was no longer offering it. Matter of fact, she was disrobing everybody. So I, I, I left and I went somewhere where they would give me rope. And I found that the people who gave me rope, they were some of the, well, you can't judge everything by a robe. That's all I say. <laughs> and so, so you know, and and it's not to bring disrespect on the robe. What I'm simply saying is that we can't look at, you know, we should not divide ourselves in a certain way, you know, uh, around who's more special or who's I don't know closer to the boot or what. I, you know, we should just be who we are and we recognize that for some people they can make more progress if they walk this way in a in a cloistered path. Some people can make more progress if they don't. So we should know which is for us. It's like uh you know, we can see this in the in the in the normal world. Some people are, you know, uh What's best for them is to have a partner. That coupling is so beautiful and it's so precious. And it's how they walk out their love and concern in the world. You know, but some, like, one is not going to be enough. Then they should not get married. And, you know, they, they can play the field and they can have two, three, four, five, whatever, you know, but don't say you commit to one if you can't commit to one. That's on, that's when it gets messed up. And then some, it'd just be better for them not to hook up at all. You know, because they bring suffering to others or they suffer themselves. So you just have to know to which estate you're called. To be single, to be married, to, you know, play, to have multiple partners. Y'all don't condemn anyone. It's just be in the right, you know, get in the right line. And it's the same for whether we choose, you know, to be monastic or lay or or something in between. Just make sure you're in the right place for you. That's all, you know. And uh, and so so he talks about this world of realization, and whichever uh, path we can be on within the broader path that helps us to perceive the impermanence of everything, you know, and. Um, and to see that nothing is of any inherent existence, but that everything comes into being through cause and condition. And when this and this come together, it produces something. You know that there's this uh, uh, there's a catalyst. And if we left it as that, like I mixed, I don't know, dynamite. I mean, I mixed, yeah, dynamite with gunpowder, lit. 
and and fire, and I got an explosion. So that's what, it's just dynamite, gunpowder, explosion. And without those, wait a minute, it's dynamite, gunpowder, and fire. And without those three, I wouldn't have an explosion. I mean, they can all be in close proximity to each other. But when I put them all together, this is what I'll get. And if we understood that everything that that is happening moment by moment is happening just that way. It's no personal vendetta, not really. That's that's this kind of a illusory view that it, somebody has a vendetta against me. Or say, you know, this is how the mind of reasoning pieces together why that happened. You see, but actually, it was just certain conditions coming together that produced, you know, it produced something. And he said that if you kept it as simple, as basic as that, you'd be able to start again and again and again, fresh in every moment. And we wouldn't drag around our baggage for 5, 10, 15, 20 years. And we wouldn't have the heavy hearts and the heavy minds that we have. So he says, look to that. Look to see the true impermanence of everything. Look to see that nothing is of any inherent existence. And it'll be easier and easier for us to drop the kinds of unsavory minds that put us in these six kinds of of uh, unfavorable um, mental realms or mental states. The ninth world is the world of the bodhisattva, and it's a state of compassion in which one thinks constantly and works for the ease of others. You know, and, um, and, and there's something about Doing it, you know, and, and attaining, attaining this condition, this condition of the Bodhisattva, it does not make, you know, make us a special person. It is, you know, it does not. The term Bodhisattva, Bodhi meaning, um, awake or, you know, uh, and, and Sattva or enlightenment and, and Sattva means, uh, one destined for, or, you know, or destined to become, you know, it's like that. So destined to become enlightened, or destined to awaken. That's all a bodhisattva is. And so that means you haven't become it yet. So there is nothing to, to like, uh, um, you know, there's no cause for feeling special because, oh, like, I just work for the happiness of all other beings or, you know, you know, I'm seeking my enlightenment, you know, for all beings or, you know, like, this is, I'm, I, I just do everything for others. It's just like not thinking in that way at all, you know. And it's actually recognizing that when you do for others, you actually do for yourself. You know, actually, you could think about it like that. Everything you do, even the good you do for other people, you actually do it for yourself because that's your merit. You know, so it's, it's no point in bragging about it to somebody else because it's 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 you know whatever I do, that's my merit, even if it benefits somebody else. So no need to even talk about it because still, in a certain way, to talk about it is to is is to um. Bring self to a position of prominence uh, that is an erroneous way of thinking about oneself. Do you understand what I mean? And so, um, uh, so it's, um, you know, the Buddha said that, that ego, our ego is only uprooted at the stage of an arhan. Like, you know, uh, so until you're right there crossing the threshold, crossing the finish, it's like you're not done till you're done. And all the way up until that point, there's going to be the ego there. So to think that, that we have abandoned all ego is to be deluded. We actually ha- absolutely have not, you know. And so um, we just stay mindful 
um, of this. But but uh, the condition of the bodhisattva produces in the mind an awareness um, that the way to self-perfection uh, is through altruism. That's a definite knowing that the bodhisattva has. So that's why one talks about selfless services because they know, you know, um, that this is the way. And they start carving out more time in their life to offer service to others, to do, to, to be there for others, you know, um, because they can see more clearly, you know, that uh, altruism is a way to self-perfection. In the Lotus Sutra, uh, Bodhisattva Maitreya says to those who overcome in the worldly life, they have ably learned the Bodhisattva way and are as untainted with worldly things as the lotus flower that rises out of the muddy water. So that means they're not out of the world. They're in the world. They're, they're down deep in it, you know. So, uh, so they have every bit of uh, as much an opportunity to suffer as everybody else. Not above, you know, it's not like we click our heels three times and like and we have a happy life and, you know, uh, we constantly hit the jackpot and, you know, things, all of these good things are like constantly happy. No, we still have, you know, all of the vicissitudes of life that everybody else has. You know, it's just that in spite of it, there is something, some view in the eye that uh, surpasses the level of suffering that can be incurred in things. So we have to go through all the same things. We don't get a pass, you know, but in but we because we can see um and because we inherit the joy that comes with altruism, we have enough joy that covers all the dastardly things that happen. <laughs> and a lot happen. You know, the thing is like if you know, the more the closer <clears throat> Or the more I'd say you you start to to wake up. Here's here's the downside about waking up and waking up fast is that all of the other things like the negative karma, you know, that has that has to uh, come ripen. And, I mean, faster it comes. It's like one thing after another. You know, it's not like stretched out over over ten years or fifty years. It's all happening this week. You know, and I'm like, let it come, let it come. That's one more thing burned up, one more thing neutralized, one more thing consumed, you know. And that's how, you know, and that's how you approach it. Uh, it's just one more in the day, in the day in the life of Panyawadi, you know, and, and you, you just handle it like that and you keep going on, you know, and then this moment or this feeling could last as long as she wants it to last. You know, she can carry it all day or she can carry it one minute or as soon as the thought arose, like, hey, Padua, this is suffering. I'm saying, sure, you're right. And then that's it. Now we move on to something else. And so it's, it's training ourselves to, to, you know, to do it that way. But who is it that trains? We. And who do we train? Ourselves. You gotta have those two components going on in there. And if we don't, we, we, uh, we suffer. So there's the, the willingness to abandon, to give up our beef, our complaint, you know, uh, if we really want to be free. If not in this moment, then in the next moment. And and so um, the tenth world, the Buddha land, that's the state of complete access to boundless wisdom, compassion, and courage throughout the ten times. No longer bound by even time and space. No longer bound by uh, uh 
it's, it's the word. I'm always making up words. By phenomenology, is that a word? <laughs> no, no longer being uh, bound by form, being in this place. You know, can appear in this place and appear in another place. Can be bilocal. He said, one can become many, many can become one. There's so many uh, 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 capabilities, capacities that are available to us when we start stop rolling around in the basement, as I said the other day. As we start our ascent, um, uh, I I saw a book that I'm going to get, and I'm, I'm sorry I don't know the name of it. I don't even know if the book is, is uh, worth reading, but I'm going to buy it and read it because this is a person who uh, um, she had an accident and she was dead for, um, I think it was 40 five minutes and and she had some kind of experience uh during that time and she said you know she said when i was alive i had uh six senses she said when i died i had 500 more than just Seeing, hearing, tasting, touching, smelling, and thinking. She, she said she accessed, and so I want to get the book to see what all she accessed and how she could put it into a language that we can understand, you know. Um, but that is, that is the promise. And there are some who have accessed these additional, uh, faculties, these capacities, uh, to uh, to know and to interact with the world that helps us to be better at whatever level we're on, you know, and so and so, but we notice that we touch this state, you know, we get in the vicinity of it from one of these nine worlds. Every higher world is accessed from the world we're in. Every higher state is accessed from the state we're in, you know. And so in this way, we don't have to despise whatever state we're in. We just can know that can be a springboard to the next state. If we don't like that state, you know, then this is the the practice of employing the methods that allow us to piggyback from the state we're in to the next, to the next state. When I get tired of rolling around in hell, like I don't have to actually be in hell where my feet are to the fire, you know. Even being a hungry ghost, even craving is better than that. You know, but I don't have to be a, uh, you know, a hungry ghost. You know, even like having some survival instincts is, is better than that. You know, but I don't have to function by survival. I can, you know, I can, I can use the, uh, the, uh, capacity of reasoning to make some changes. I don't, I don't, I don't even have to have the reasoning. I can have the direct experience of rapture to know when I drop it, I experience this. You know, I experienced this release. You don't have to give me the reason. You don't have to tell me about neuroplasticity. You don't have to tell me about all of that. You know, if I can just drop it, I know I find that I'm happier when I let it go. Happier when I think the best about you. Happier when even if you're not the best, if I think the best, I'm in a happy world. You might not be, but I'm in a happy land. And so it's like this. Don't think that the Buddha land is a place so far off. It's right here. Wherever you are, it is there. So, the bottom line is that the world in which we live has to be purified and made peaceful through our own efforts as dwellers in this Saha world. And the word Saha um, means um, to endure. So we have to develop an enduring quality, the quality to endure. That's what it takes to make it in this world. 
to endure. We realize our, our happiness through our own efforts, through enduring, through overcoming. It's what I like about the Dharma because it gives me hope you know, that I don't have to depend on somebody else for my salvation. You know, that I don't have to depend on someone else for my enlightenment. I don't have to depend on someone else for my freedom. I learned that I can depend on myself. I can put forth the effort and realize true peace. And we might know this intellectually, you know, but intellectual knowing does not cut it. No. But when we have a taste of it here and there, and go back and reflect on how did that arise for us? Ruth. She touched Ruth for me. How did that arise for us, you know? If we go back and reflect and realize how it arose for us, you know, then we can we can duplicate it. And that's why we've been working on um, changing our state. You know, the Buddha said when you sit down and meditate, he said uh, first you have to lay aside all um, sense any sense of humiliation, any sense of uh, Disgust, any sense of offense for the world, anything anyone has said to you, done to you, or you perceive they're saying or doing, anything that has happened to you, let's talk about life's not fair. He said all of that you have to be willing to lay it down if you want to experience a different state of mind. Now, this doesn't take reasoning. It takes just a willingness to lay it down. You can pick it up later if you want to. If this didn't work for you, didn't make you feel any better, and if hating on somebody made you feel better, then then pick that back up when you finish. But he said, try this. Just being willing to forgive a fault. Just being willing to forgive oneself when you know you didn't... um, Come up to your own expectation. You know. Learn to love oneself. It's the greatest, it's the most important thing that you can do. Because you truly cannot give anybody what you don't possess. But when you know that you can forgive yourself, then you know that you have the capacity to forgive others. When you can overlook your own fault, yes, I see that, and I, 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 I need to work on that. I will work on that. But this is how I'll do it. I'll try. When I feel that rising up, I know I'm losing control. Instead of like just leaning into it, I'm gonna stop right then. I'm, I, when I start talking about somebody, but then some little thing comes up into my mind, and I remember something that I think they said, and then so I use this as an opportunity to interject just one little kind of ne- not really negative thing about them, you know, but just one little on the fence thing, you know. Then my whole intention has shifted right then, right there. Just stop. Walk away. I remember when it came to me for a, I think for a solid two or three months, when I realized that I was gossiping, you know, like when it shifted from just sharing information or whatever to like really becoming like a, a, a gossip thing, not something we need to like get some idea on how to approach or how to make it and, and going to somebody for in confidence, you know, for, but I mean just really trying to gossip or talk about somebody. We, we know the difference, you know. Then I have to say, I'm sorry, I'm gossiping. You know, how many times you want to say that? You know, it'll help you if you say it. If you like, if you lie a little bit, you say, I'm lying. I mean, how many times are you going to say that? You know, uh, 
I mean, but learning how to be really honest with ourselves in that way, you know, and take it the easiest way you can do it. Just notice and stop yourself when you can. Stop yourself. It's right on the tip of your tongue before you say it. But if you've already started saying it when you realize, stop right there. Just end the conversation. If you've already said it before you realize it, just reflect. Vow to do better. And then you keep going in that way. It'll come sooner and sooner and sooner. And hindsight will become foresight will become insight. So right now, just as we're closing, he said that once you lay aside grief and covetousness for the world, lay aside this impression, this notion that the world is too much for us, that we can't handle it. Once we're thoroughly convinced that we can handle anything that comes in our day, said, then imbue the mind with loving kindness. Loving kindness is just loving being kind. That's all. Some of us haven't had a lot of experience in that. I mean, like it just wasn't a thing in our household. A kindness thing, like we didn't have it, you know. So we're not that practiced at it. We're not even sure it'll work. You know, we have to put it to the test, you know. Just developing, loving, being kind. That's all it is. Choosing to be kind. And he said, and, and when we are, are filling with kindness, that it, when we get to overflowing, it becomes compassion. We start to recognize a person suffering when they do that thing. A person is suffering when they say that thing. A person is suffering. You know, we start to see that suffering more than we see their infraction. You know? That's what will arise for you. And sometimes we have the skillfulness to address and neutralize it. Sometimes we don't have the skillfulness. But just to recognize that they are suffering is the beginning. And then when that's full to overflowing, this altruistic kind of joy emerges. Like you're always wishing for their happiness. That they never be separated from their happiness. Instead of she got what she deserved. You know, we're always hoping that they don't get what, you know, that there's something in their life, some merit that neutralizes that. Or someone just didn't even consider it a fault. So they got to get out of jail free card. But not that everybody gets what they deserve. It's so mean-spirited. You know? And when that's full to overflowing, that kind of mental state, he said, then equanimity comes. You see, you can't have equanimity until you fulfill the conditions for equanimity. Otherwise, it's just indifference. It's not equanimity. Equanimity is full of something. It's pregnant with kindness and compassion and altruism. That's why you can like just, you know, be with whatever's happening. Because all the kindness you can muster up is there. The appreciation is there. Nothing else you can do. And now you can be at ease, whichever way it turns out, because you know you have offered to the situation everything that was in you. And so we say, I'm sorry. What's the next one? Please. What's the next one? Thank you. And we end with, yeah, I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. I love you. I'm sorry. Please.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.